Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 113 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra is with me today, my partner in crime. Ayaz, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Yeah, I'm very good, my friend. Very good. Right, we're going to dive straight into the reviewing. There's a lot to go over. Let's waste no time. We're going to start over in the Hialeah Park Racing and Casino in Florida, USA. A couple fights to mention on this, Bill. Um, I managed to see the stoppage of one of the fights, but I didn't manage to see the other one. So I'll start with Luis Ortiz, the man that, of course, failed the drug test recently. He moved to 28-0. and God knows why he was even in the ring, to be completely honest. It doesn't seem like he was banned. Um, certainly not for long enough. So yeah, Luis Ortiz moved to 28 and 0. It was a KO in round two against a guy called Daniel Martz, who is now 16 and 6 with one draw. I think this guy actually got knocked out in two rounds by Bryant Jennings, if I'm not mistaken. So gives you a little bit of a comparison there, despite Luis Ortiz already beating Jennings. Also on this bill, a undefeated prospect um, called Ahmed. El Biali. He was 16-0. and He took on the former world champion Jean Pascal, 31-5 and with one draw. It was a TKO in round 6 for Pascal. He did say it was going to be his last fight, if I'm not mistaken, so that's a great you know, a great win to go out on there, beating an undefeated prospect who really, let's be completely honest, you know, the, the old dog, if you like, in Jean Pascal was in there to lose that fight, so brilliant way to end your career if he does stay true to his words, unlike what we're hearing about Orlando Salido, obviously we're going to mention him later on in the show, but yeah, he retired for about two days and he's um, he's now talking about returning next year, so yeah, bizarre stuff. Moving over now to Russia, a couple fights to make, or one fight really to mention on this bill, Fedor Chudinov, former world champion, 15-2, and two. Uh, he fought for the vacant WBA international super middleweight title against the undefeated Canadian Ryan Ford, he's 14-0, he was the guy that was supposed to take on Anthony Yar, but the fight fell through. Fedor Chudinov ended up winning a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. I'm not quite sure of the scorecards, but, you know, it seemed... Well, from what I saw, I did see a couple little bits. It seemed like Fedor Chudinov handled him... um, Pretty pretty easily, I suppose. Moving over now to Switzerland. Again, there's so many strange, like, one kind of fight... Uh, you know, one fight excitements, if you like, all around the world. There's there's not really great cards. It's just like one random great fight. We're going to go over to Switzerland at the Grand Casino. Arnold the Cobra, also known as Arnold Gurdjieff, 30 wins and one loss. That one loss coming to David Hay in his comeback fight. Uh, he took on big sexy Sean Turner. And, you know, apparently the odds on this were quite crazy. And I really didn't you know, know too much about Arnold the Cobra. He didn't really look good against Hay, as we all know. I've never seen him since then or before then. And I haven't really, I'm going to hold my hands up, I haven't really seen too much of big, sexy Sean Turner. But anyway, he got in there, he dropped Arnold the Cobra in the second round, and he ended up getting a KO in round eight. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he probably, um, looking, at the, looking at the scorecards, I think he probably 
pretty much won every round as well. So unbelievable performance there for Sean Turner. He went and done it on the road. So credit to him. He's now 12-1. and And that just goes to show how good Arnold the Cobra really is. Or how bad he really is, I should be saying. Because he's now 30-2. and two. There's no disgrace with that record. It looks absolutely beautiful on paper. But he's absolutely terrible. Moving over now to the Copper Box Arena at the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Hackney Wick, London, United Kingdom. I was at this card. I was sat there ringside. Uh, a couple fights to mention. Firstly, two guys were supposed to fight on the bill, but the fight didn't end up happening, unfortunately, due to running out of time, to be completely honest. Um, Umar Sadiq didn't get to fight, neither did Hamza Shiraz. Two good fighters, two undefeated pros, 1-0, both their records. Um, however, we did get to see the pro debut of Harvey Horn. He picked up a TKO in round three against Dennis Bartos. Dennis Bartos was 1-0. He's now 1-1. Uh, it was a body shot. It was a right hook to the body. Harvey Horn, you know, he looked pretty good. But like I say, he was the first fight on. Not many people got to see him fight, to be honest. Um, Sanjeev Sahotari moved to 10-0. and It was a points win over six rounds against a guy who was 20-50 and with four draws. So, yeah. And again, that, that's a hotter fight. He didn't really have things all his own way. I think he is a little bit of an accident waiting to happen. A few people ringside were agreeing with me. He's, um, you know, he makes for some exciting fights. But he's not a fantastic fighter, I don't I don't think, Sanjeev Sohota. And also, I've noticed that all these fighters, there's a lot of these like triple-digit things. Like, we've got Triple G. I mean, he kind of started it off. And then we've got DDD for Daniel Dubois. Sanjeev Sohota is Triple S. It seems like everybody's doing um, that, this kind of thing lately. Um, moving up the card once again, Archie Sharp. He moved to 11-0. It was a points win over eight rounds against Rafael Castillo. Rafael Castillo. Castillo now 14 and 38 with three draws, a journeyman to be completely honest. We will be speaking to Archie Sharp later on in the show. Um, you know, what I will say though is Archie Sharp just, you know, he's a fighter that really needs to be on TV. He just, he's, he's brilliant. He absolutely is. I mean, unbelievable body shots. Again, he's, he's done it time and time again. He's stopped people with body shots before. He just unleashes to the body. Really, really brutal stuff. And he really is sharp. He really lives up to his to his surname. He really is the definition of sharp. He switch hits. He's got a spiteful looking jab in his last few fights. And he throws shots from awkward angles. Very, very unpredictable fighter. Really someone I'm certainly really excited for. For the future, we'll be speaking to him later. Moving up the card once again, Daniel Dubois, 5 and 0 took on Dorian Darch 12 and 5 with one draw. Dorian Darch was down once in round one and three times in the second round, ultimately a TKO in round two. Daniel Dubois now 6 and 0. I give credit to Dorian Darch. I mean, you know, he's fought he's fought Anthony Joshua, he's fought Eddie Chambers, he's fought I think a few of the other guys as well. He's also fought here Daniel Dubois. He's certainly a guy that comes to fight. He's not one of those guys that looks to lay down at the first chance. He always goes down a couple of times gets back up, you know I've got to give him credit, he does always give it a go, never really looks for a way out, I think that Dubois um, I think Dubois, if I'm not mistaken, somebody said in the post-fight the, the post-fight press conference that Dubois knocked um, Darch out in the very same round, in the very same second, in the very same minute as Anthony Joshua did, right to the second, so I mean we're not going to compare too much but that is an interesting fact that must be said, but yeah Dubois looked like a powerhouse as per usual, he, he walked onto one or two jabs by Darch, some solid looking, solid looking jabs, I don't really think that head movement is Dubois' strong point if I'm going to be critical, but yeah I mean... 
does he really need head movement the way he's just going through people like a hot knife through butter? For the entirety of this card, by the way, I was sat ringside next to former Cruiserweight World Champion Glenn McCrory, obviously a former Sky Pundit, uh, former sparring partner for, for, for Mike Tyson back in the day, and... It was really good to sit next to him and, you know, just kind of speak to him and soak up some some of his boxing knowledge and talk about certain fights. And, you know, it was really good to to agree on so much in terms of what we were seeing in the ring. We were were discussing pretty much every fight and what we thought of each fighter. And it was brilliant to sit next to somebody with such a wealth of knowledge in the sport. And, you know, again, he he actually said to me, this is a one-round job. And I remember at the end of round one kind of saying, well, we got through that round, didn't we? So credit to Dorian Darch. Moving up the bill once again, Joe Mullander 10-2 took on Lee Churcher 13-3 with one draw. Joe Mullander always comes to fight, always brings a drama field fight. He's always in wars to be completely honest. I've seen a few of his fights now and every every fight I've seen it's been a war. It was for the vacant IBF East and West Europe middleweight title. Churcher was cut above the eye. He was down twice in the 5th round, once in the 8th and once in the 11th. To be honest, the thing about Churcher, I looked at his face and he's um, kind of got one of those faces where he doesn't really look like he wants to be in there. And I think that it may give people a little bit of kind of spur to you know to, to put it on him. But he actually just looks like that. He, he's got this kind of face. It's hard to read. He's got a bit of a poker face. Um, it doesn't look like a very good one, but it just doesn't change. So he was on the floor and he had that face where you know he can't. You kind of feel like he's trying to feel, get everybody to feel sorry for him, and then he gets up and lands a great punch here and there. So yeah, credit to um, to Lee Churcher. Definitely very game. His record now thirteen and four with one draw, and Joe Mullander eleven and two. Like I say, a bit of a brawler to be honest. Joe Mullander. He certainly comes to fight every time, so credit to him. He's the new IBF East and West Europe middleweight champion. Also on this bill, Anthony Yard moved to 14-0. and He successfully defended his WBO European light heavyweight title and his WBO intercontinental light heavyweight title against the previously not undefeated, because he's lost four fights. He's now lost five, but he'd never been stopped. Nikola Shvetlocker, who is now 32-5 and with one draw. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think that Shvetlocker had never even been knocked down, let alone knocked out. He was down once in round two and once in round four, and that was where the fight ended. A TKO there in round four for Anthony Yard. Now, I was absolutely stunned with what I saw from Anthony Yard. I think that Anthony Yard, as I've said before, is the real deal. Anthony Yard was absolutely excellent. The first proper, proper test there, let's be honest, for him. And obviously, Shvetlocker never being down. He went down in that second. He went down in that fourth. Um, I, I was just blown away. Yard took a few shots too. He didn't really have it all his own way, if you like. But all in all, what a performance. You look at that. That guy's been in there with former world champions. And, you know, the only guy that he thought that he lost to which wasn't a former world champion, was Callum Smith, who some people say, or most people say, is destined to become a world champion. So this guy was no mug, despite what people thought. He's the taller guy when he got in there. You know, I was just over the moon for Anthony Yard because I know what he's been putting into these, you know, these training camps and stuff like that. He really takes the game serious. Like I say, I've seen Anthony Yard spar, and I'm going to probably go down to his gym sometime next week. And I've seen this guy spar with people, and as soon as the three-minute 
you know, the three-minute buzzer goes or the bell goes, whatever you want to call it, in the gym, another sparring partner jumps straight back in for for a fresh three minutes. So he's got about about five or six sparring partners jumping in every time the three-minute mark goes, and he doesn't take a break. So you can imagine this guy is an absolute powerhouse. But yeah, his trainer Tunde Ajay got out of the ring and you know after the fight, and he said to me, "Now they can't say nothing." That was his words. Now they can't say nothing because once again he's talking of the yard critics that don't rate him, the people that say you know he's he's been cherry picking. But for me, that was a real test. He came through it in better fashion than all those big names, all those former world champions, and he absolutely. You know, he just put on a demolition display there. And the power is real. If you needed further confirmation, the power certainly is real. He passed that test there. Yard absolutely smashed the body as well. I've never really seen him go to the body like that. He really demonstrated some great defense as well. I mean, his defense was impeccable. I don't want to... Or impregnable, I should be saying. I don't want to start... I don't want to start reeling off my Mike Tyson lines, but, you know, he was absolutely brilliant. And like I say, he retained those belts. Really impressed with him. Uh, Also on this bill, we should mention also Johnny Garton. He picked up the vacant IBF East and West Europe welterweight title. It was a TKO in round 10 for Johnny Garton. It was a really, really hard fight for him. I mean, the guy he was fighting, uh, who's I think he was from... I I thought he was from France, but maybe not. His name was Mihal Orlov, so maybe not. But anyway, this guy was 12-6 and with one draw. Johnny Garton, 20-1 and with one draw. Uh, Johnny Garton was cut. He was, you know, walking onto many shots in in the early part of the fight. He was really up against it. He pretty much lost a few rounds on the spin. And to, to come through and weather that storm and then get the stoppage in round 10, unfortunately... It kind of went under the radar with the, you know, the bigger fights on the night, but arguably the fight of the night there, arguably the win of the night. I mean, he really faced some adversity physically there in the fight. He came through it absolutely unbelievable. By the way, let me just quickly rewind just a touch here. Obviously, we did the predictions last week, and, um, you know, I'm just going to run through this card. We all went with Yard to get the knockout, even though the guy had never been stopped before. We all got that right, so credit to everyone there. Also... Lee Selby on this bill as well. We all picked him to win on points, and that happened also. I'm going to talk about his fight right now. Lee Selby moved to 26-1. and He defeated Eduardo Ramirez, who was unbeaten. He took his O here. It's another fighter's O for Lee Selby's resume. He takes people's O's, this kid. I've said it before. Uh, Eduardo Ramirez now 20-1 and with three draws. Obviously, he came in overweight, and in the end, he couldn't get down to... You know, to to a light enough weight where he could actually be in contention to fight for the title. So unfortunately for him, the title wasn't on the line. He couldn't win the title. So yeah, he lost his opportunity. Very very unprofessional from somebody fighting for a world title, especially you know a guy from Mexico, a guy um, with experienced people in his corner. I was really really surprised by that. Really really unprofessional stuff. Um, you know, now he's lost, and when you look at it on paper, he's lost, and it wasn't even for a world title, it was a non-title fight, so I'm sure he probably got penalised a tiny bit in terms of his purse there, so it seems like it was all for nothing, but yeah, Lee Selby, I mean, he got criticised a little bit, it was a tiny bit boring, I suppose, Um, you know, this guy, uh, really though, I think, I think really in good fights, it takes two people to tango, and this guy, didn't really come to fight. I think sometimes he came to survive. I mean, 
you know, he was he was he was backing up a lot, leaving Selby to sort of walk him down a bit, and that's not really Selby's type of fight. He was really tough. I mean, Selby Selby hit him with a brilliant amount of shots, you know, both to the head and the body. Really sneaky stuff from Lee Selby. He's very very crafty fighter, very good boxing brain. But the guy did soak it all up. He was tough. He's a Mexican. That's what we can say. But you know, every Mexican. T- turns out to be somewhat tough but yeah he took everything that Lee Selby could give and it ended up being a wide unanimous points win for Lee Selby over 12 rounds and like I say you know the thing about Lee Selby some people say he hasn't really got the power he hasn't really got the power but one thing he has got is the boxing skills to win very very wide decisions and he's done it time and time again so another pretty much landslide victory there for Lee Selby now talking about the main talking point on this card James DeGaulle 23 and 1 with one draw returning to the UK for the first time since 2014 in November if I'm not mistaken so just over three years ago which Coincidentally, was the last time he got a knockout. All these fights on the road since he became world champion, he hasn't got a knockout. He's gone 12 rounds every single time. So yeah, he looked to come back and he looked to have an easy touch and we all thought he'd probably win this fight by knockout. Talking about the predictions, I went with him to win by knockout. So did I as and so did the listeners. We were all together on that as well. Boy, oh boy, we couldn't have been much further from what happened, to be completely honest. Um, There was a lot to talk about. I mean, where do you really start? Well, what can I say? James Digger, biggest shock of them tonight. That night, a lot of people thought he was going to win the fight, but in the whole fight, he was at the back foot. He didn't really do much in the fight. He didn't even let his hand goes and look at fifth round. He got hurt. I think for it was ring rust. It was. He shouldn't have went for. He should have done not done a twelve round fight. He should have had a ten round fight. And then look what happened to him. This guy has made hit the jackpot. He, he, he paid off his student debt, and now he's. Just, now he's on the world title. Yeah, I mean, um, the way I saw it, Degal probably won the first round. Um, he probably got a share of the second. I think we were talking ringside, you know, myself and, and fellow journalists, we were all talking about it, and a lot of people kind of agreed that he definitely got the first. I think Glenn McCrory also agreed with me there. Um He definitely won the 11th round as well. But yeah, he just kept going to the ropes. It almost looked voluntarily. Like he kept just going to the ropes, trying to fight off them. He looked, you know, he looked like as if he'd got old overnight. Somebody at ringside who was sitting next to me, I was having a a good chat with this guy pretty much for the whole bill. And, um... You know, he was saying, has, has Badu Jack ruined James DeGaulle? I think he, you know, he had a valid point there. James DeGaulle looked flat, he looked weak, he looked tired, he looked powerless, he looked awful. Glenn McCrory rightly said to me during the fight, that man in the ring does not look like an Olympic champion. And he was right. I mean, credit to Truax, he came to fight. He was pretty ordinary. He grew in confidence in the fight, definitely. DeGaulle looked a shadow of his previous self. I think the, the Groves fight has gone down in value, but it's probably... The the only chance the gals really got of a big payday. I think it, they could probably get some bums on seats for that. And, you know, James DeGal was our longest reigning British world champion. He's lost his title now. And to be completely honest, no one could argue with that. Um, from what I heard, I think Steve Bunce had James DeGal up by one or two rounds. I found that absolutely crazy. I'm not sure if that's 100% certain. I haven't watched it back on TV, so I didn't hear any of his comments at ringside. But yeah, Truax even said after the fight that he wasn't as good of a boxer 
boxer as James DeGale. He wasn't as good of a boxer as James DeGale. Yeah, that's right. And he wouldn't be able to outbox him. So he had to turn it into a dogfight, and he did that. So credit to him. And, you know, DeGale, when he did let his hands go, he seemed to hurt Truax a few times with left hooks to the body, but he just didn't throw enough. Um... I don't know, maybe he overlooked Truax, maybe, you know, maybe he just wasn't good enough, simple as that, I mean, it was hard to to watch him like that, I think the world would have agreed that Degal was the best fighter at super middleweight until last Saturday night, and now who's the number one, and I think that despite the criticism that the World Boxing Super Series super middleweight tournament got for being weaker than the cruiserweight one, I think that now the winner of the cruiserweight tournament, uh, sorry, not the cruiserweight tournament, the super middleweight tournament is probably the best fighter at 168, so in hindsight, well done to the World Boxing Super Series tournament, because I'm not being funny, but James DeGale's certainly not number one in my opinion. Um, you know, it's a bit of a fairy tale kind of story for Caleb Truax. I'm really, really pleased for him. You know, no one really gave him a chance. He came over for peanuts and he's got the title and now, it, you know, the ball's in his court and there was a few things I've heard about rematch clause. Has he definitely got one? Has he not got one? Originally, it it emerged that he hadn't had a rematch clause, but now I'm reading that he has. So, yeah, that's a bit up in the air. Hopefully, we see more on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, James DeGale looked absolutely terrible, and I mean, I, I was saying ringside, what what would happen if if um, if Chris Eubank Jr. was in that ring with him now? And everybody was like, oh god, you know what I mean? So. It was it was it was hard to watch, man. It really was. And like I say, he was our longest reigning world champion. If I'm not mistaken, I heard that Jamie McDonald's vacated his title and moved up, but I'm not quite sure that that's been confirmed. But if that is the case, then Lee Selby's now Britain's longest reigning world champion out of all our current world champions. Anyway, that is it from the Copper Box. Moving over now to one fight that happened in the Imperial Banqueting Suite in West Midlands, United Kingdom. Them. One fight to mention on this bill, David Avanesium, former world champion, he had a record of 22-2 and two with one draw, it's now 23-2 and two with one draw, he beat a guy called Serge Ambomo, who was 6-4, and four. Um, a bit of a poor record there, I think it was a last minute opponent kind of thing, Ambomo was down in the first round and also he was down again in the seventh round, but ultimately it was an eight round points win for the former world champion David Avanesian, a man that we've had on this show, I'm trying to get through this as quick as possible, I'm going to move over now to the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino Event Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, a couple fights to mention on this bill, Denis Shafikov actually got a shock loss here, Denis Shafikov, um, 38 and 3 with one draw took on Rene Alvarado 27 and 8. Shafikov was cut on the left side of his scalp and Alvarado over the left eye in a clash of heads. That was in the second round. Shafikov was given a count in the fifth round, although TV replay showed that he tripped over Alvarado's foot. Bizarre stuff there. Um Ultimately, it was a split decision in favour of Rene Alvarado over 10 rounds. So, for me, I, I think if it went a couple more rounds, I think Shafikov could have actually, you know, got the win. I think he's more suited to the 12-round fight rather than Rene Alvarado. So, bad luck there for Shafikov. But, to be completely honest, Shafikov's had some good luck, actually, in his, in his uh, recent couple fights. Um... Also on this bill, Miguel Roman. He was having his 70th professional fight. His record 57 and 12 going in. He took on Ola- 
Fernando Salido, 44 and 13, with four draws. Salido was down in round four, he was down in round eight, and he was down in round nine, where he was TKO'd. And remember, it was supposed to be his final fight, but he decided to go back on those words only a couple of minutes, or not minutes, but a couple of days later. He's now saying he's going to return in 2018. We just can't get rid of Orlando Salido. It was a proper Mexican war, the bits I did see of it. Um, I haven't watched the whole thing you know the the whole fight in its in its actual full duration. The reason to that is I got him from the copper box, watched the Lomachenko Rigondo card fully, and then straight after that I had this card taped, and I kind of whizzed through what I could, and I ended up watching the Tevin Farmer fight that we'll get to in a couple of moments. So yeah, so a good win there for Miguel Roman. He's now 58 and 12 inside 70 fights and Orlando Salido at 44 and 14 with four draws. Also on this bill, Francisco Vargas 23 and 1 with two draws took on Stephen Smith, our very own Stephen Smith. His record 25 and 3 going in. It ended up being a technical decision in round 9 after Smith was unable to continue due to a damaged ear from an accidental headbutt. I don't know if you've seen the picture, Eyes. Did you get to see a picture of Stephen Smith's ear? Yes, I did. It was horrendous. Absolutely horrific. One of those injuries, you know, that you, you just look at and think, how on earth has that happened? I mean, it literally looked like the top of his ear, it looked like someone had got a pair of scissors and just snipped it. It was it was literally split in two, and blood was seeping all over the place. It was absolutely gruesome, very hard to look at, to be honest. And do you know what? Stephen Smith was prepared to carry on. I mean, he's he's got a, a really big heart, Stephen Smith, really tough fighter. But unfortunately, I think that probably was his last kind of chance. And you know, he I don't know, he lost the first two rounds like quite clearly. But I don't know that some of the rounds weren't really. It wasn't like he was losing them big. It was it was competitive rounds. You know, he he was competitive. He didn't disgrace himself. He didn't look out of his depth really. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, Vargas again's a guy that they talk about having lots of power. But Smith didn't really seem bothered by his power. And also Smith himself, you know, he's very good. He's very clever. He, he kept landing sneaky power shots here and there. And you know, some of the best punches of the fight, I think. The nicest thing I can say was that I think some of the best punches were probably landed by Smith, to be honest. But, yeah, ultimately, he lost pretty wide. And, um, you know, it was what it was. So, yeah, back to the drawing board for Stephen Smith, unfortunately. It's been a pretty bad um, time for the Smith brothers, really. Let's have it right. I mean, Liam Smith, obviously, finally kind of putting the nail in the coffin with Liam Williams. I mean, that was good, but for a while it was bad when the first fight ended the way it did. Obviously, Paul Smith, it's been bad luck for him recently. It's bad luck once again here for Stephen Smith, who some say is the, you know, the most talented out of the four brothers. And Callum Smith, well, he's doing okay, but even in his last fight, he didn't really look great. So, yeah, not a great time for the Smith brothers, but all the very best to the four of them. Francisco Vargas now 24 and 1 with two draws. Stephen Smith now 25 and 4. Um, the main event on this one, Kanichi Ogawa 22 and 1 took on Tevin Farmer 25 and 4 with one draw. It was for the vacant IBF World Super Featherweight title, the title that Javante Davis used to own. I mean, I watched this fight and Tevin Farmer, as we all know, he's a bit of a defensive genius. He can be when he switched on um, a lot of the fight. He was actually on the front foot which I was I was quite surprised about really because I thought he'd try and sit and box off the back foot but he seemed to be pressing the action a lot um, don't get me wrong there was times where he was on the back foot as well but I think he pressed the action enough 
to clearly win the fight, but shockingly, and Lou DeBell has gone absolutely mental on Twitter about it, but unfortunately, it's just not enough. I mean, they're going to try and appeal this, but it was a split decision in favour of Agawa, so he's now the new IBF World Super Featherweight Champion. He's now 23-1, and and Tevin Farmer's now 25-5 and with one draw. The Sky commentary team, Adam Smith and the rest, they were going absolutely mad about it. I think they had it really, really wide to Tevin Farmer. I remember just before they announced the decision, Adam Smith actually said this is wide and hopefully the decisions that we get back from the judges are wide ones because we don't want to see anything close and unbelievably two judges actually gave it not close but gave it to Ogawa and I think one of them even gave it to him wide which is absolutely shocking to be honest I could not believe what I was seeing there and especially you know Tevin Farmer being a good friend of the show it was really really sad to not see him grace there all the things that he's had to come through as a pro you know outside of the ring as well being shot earlier this year it's just been an absolute uh, roller coaster journey I suppose for a man from Philadelphia and he's done things the hard way on the small shows hasn't been given credit and when he got his shot he gets robbed in, in many people's eyes so very very sad to see that for him there um yeah, once again, I'm just going to, as I've been going so quick, I'm forgetting certain things. The Gal, we all went with him to win by knockout, so we didn't get a point there. Um, and now, moving over to the other card. This is obviously the card that took place in the Madison Square Garden Theatre. The, the, that's not the main Madison Square Garden, the, the big room, as they say. It's it's the small room. It's the little room. It's, it's downstairs. So, yeah, we got on this bill Shakur Stevenson. He moved to 4-0 and with a TKO in round two against Oscar Mendoza. Oscar Mendoza had previously never been stopped. His record was only 4-2. and two, But, yeah, Shakur Stevenson has only fought winning records since turning pro. We will be speaking to Shakur Stevenson in a few moments' time. Also on the bill, Michael Conlon went the distance for the first time in his career against Luis Fernando Molina, who was 7-3 and three with one draw, now 7-4. and four. And Michael Conlon is now 5-0. and oh. I mean, the guy was the guy was durable. It was a change of opponent. It was quite it was quite weird because Shakur Stevenson was supposed to fight this guy, and Michael Conlon was supposed to fight Mendoza, and they switched opponents. I think on the night, which was kind of mad, or at least on fight week. So, yeah, I found that quite strange. Um, you know, Conlon banked some some good rounds there. I suppose, like I say, first time going the distance in the sixth round there. So, all the very best to Michael Conlon. Moving up the bill once again, Bryant Jennings. He knocked out Don Hainsworth in round three. So a TKO in round three there. Don Hainsworth. I mean. I think he'd lost, I can't remember who to now, but his record now, 13-2 and two with one draw. Bryant Jennings, 21-2. and two. Also on the bill, really good fight between Christopher Diaz and Bryant Cruz. I thought this was going to be, you know, more of a competitive fight. When I say it was a good fight, I mean it was a good win for Christopher Diaz. He knocked his man out in round three. Unbelievable there. Cruz came in overweight, so the title wasn't on the line for him. The title being the vacant WBO, NABO super featherweight title. Cruz was down in round one twice in round two and once in round three where it was stopped so really 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 impressive stuff there for Christopher Diaz like I say in the super featherweight division a lot of spice in that division now all over the world so I'm really looking forward to seeing what really happens at the super featherweight limit but really the real the real boss of the super featherweight division fought on this bill he topped the bill Vassil Lomachenko 9-1 and one, took on the crafty Cuban Guillermo Rigondo 17-0 and Rigondo coming up two weights for this fight of course and Rigondo what I will say he lost one point for holding in round six it was for 
Lomachenko's WBO World Super Featherweight Championship, obviously the belt previously held by a friend of the show, Barry Jones, and the Box Nation pundit, Barry Jones. So yeah, his previous belt that Lomachenko defended successfully here against Rigondo. Rigondo ended up retiring after six rounds. He quit on his stool. He claimed he broke his hand. X-rays have shown that he actually didn't break his hand. It was just a bruise. Unbelievable. I definitely thought it was a quit. Um... Once again, we, we did the predictions on this, and I went with Lomachenko on points. So did you, so did the listeners. We agreed on um, four out of five fights, all of us. And, and actually, I, as and the listeners, you both went with every single prediction you made. You agreed on everything. So, yeah, so far, four out of four, we all agree unanimously. But we got it wrong, obviously. Lomachenko got the stoppage. Um, the actual fight itself, I mean, I said it, I'm sure I said it on last week's show, that I basically said that... Um, I basically said that, you know, Lomachenko being naturally the bigger guy, I thought that if he set a fast pace, you know, with his very quick hands and his, his great footwork, I thought that he could really start running away with it early. I thought there'd be a couple of close rounds at first, which I think there was. And, you know, he, he pretty much did that. I mean, he set a fast pace. He was he was brilliant with his footwork, as always. Um, you know, Lomachenko's so, so fleet-footed. Rigo was holding when they got up close, which I didn't think was a clever tactic, really. But, it's you know, it's his style. Um, you know, Lomachenko being flashy with his feet and, and his quick hands, as per usual. I was quite surprised to see Lomachenko doing, you know, some of his sort of... Uh, what's it called? Like, his kind of... Um, arrogant little things that he does i forgot the word but like his showmanship that's the word i was i was quite surprised to see him being a little bit you know a bit of a showman in a, in a fight this big i mean it just it just looked like a typical lomachenko performance where not much went against him really everything kind of went his way it was a little bit there was a little bit of afters at the end of some of the rounds where there was a few words exchanged i think at one point there might have been a bit of a shove or something and like i say the point taken away from rigo in round six for an elbow um, that's what I thought it was anyway. I thought it was an elbow rather than for persistent holding, but apparently it was for persistent holding, reading it online. Um, but yeah, he quit on his store at the end of round six, and Lomachenko, he, he takes another fighter's soul. That's what he did. He makes fighters quit. They're calling him Nomaschenko, obviously, just for a laugh, because Nomas obviously means no more. I don't want no more. And that just seems to be what he's making fighters think in their brains. They don't want any more of it. Um, for me, Lomachenko's my pound-for-pound pound number one now. I think he's beaten, you know, th- the people that he's beaten is just unbelievable. And the way he's doing it speaks for itself. The way he's doing it is even more unbelievable. So he's my pound-for-pound pound number one. But we will talk about pound-for-pound pound list number ones in a couple of weeks, maybe on the Christmas special, something like that. Um so yeah, Lomachenko gets another defense of his title. He's now ten and one, and Rigondo he loses his O here and loses his chance. A lot of people, a lot of pro fighters, giving him, um, you know, really telling him off online, saying that he quit and he's a disgrace and all these other things. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what he's really thinking because of the language barrier. But yeah, unfortunately, he looked absolutely terrible and he kind of did disgrace himself there. So Rigondo's now seventeen and one. Uh, moving over now to Australia, this was a bill that happened just yesterday, obviously, in the Convention and Exhibition Centre in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Um, one fight to mention on the undercard, Alex Leopai, 31-7 and with three draws, obviously, the heavyweight. He actually drew over eight rounds against a guy who was 12-6 and called Roger Isomritai. 
So that was a bit shocking, to be completely honest. But yeah, the main event on this one, Jeff Horn, 17-0 with one draw, defending his WBO World Welterweight title against our very own Gary Corcoran, 17-1. This this daytime kind of boxing thing, it's a bit, it's a bit strange, really, but these things happen time to time when fights are on over that side of the world anyway. I mean, Gary Corcoran came out in the first couple rounds, I think... I think he did okay in like round two and round three, but as the fight went on, I mean, he just seemed to he just he just seemed to let Jeff Horn get into his groove a little bit. I mean, what I kind of really thought about it was Jeff Horn. Once he's in a rhythm, he's 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 really hard to break out of his rhythm. Jeff Horn's a guy that leads with right hands and stuff like that, and he throws jabs from like a mile away. And you know he's he's just constant movement. He's very hard. He never stands still. He's got he's got decent head movement. He's his footwork's a bit weird. I mean, he, he seems to appear a little bit flat-footed, but you know he can certainly move when he has to. But yeah, he's he's you know his upper body movement, the way he just he moves around. He's very herky-jerky, as I say, very unpredictable. Again, it was one of those fights where, in my eyes, there were a lot of close rounds, and they. You know, some of them you'd you'd probably say Horn just nicked that round, and Horn just nicked that round, and all of a sudden he nicks like four or five rounds, which were quite close for me. But I gave two or three rounds to Gary Corcoran. I mean, he definitely didn't disgrace himself. Like I say, he's only had the one fight at one four seven, and now you know he jumps straight in against a world champion, an unbeaten world champion on the road. So yeah, I mean there was lots of close rounds, like I say, but yeah, Corcoran, I felt he timed his shots really well. In I think it was maybe like I think it was like round six or something, which I thought was a clear Corcoran round. He, he timed his shots really well. He cut Horn as well. He landed clever shots to both the, the body and the head. Horn always seemed to be using his head cleverly as well, up close. Like when they were up close and, and the referees calling break, he was kind of pushing off of off of Corcoran with his forehead, if you know what I mean. Like putting his head in. Very sly stuff and very clever stuff, let's be honest, from Jeff Horn. Yeah, Gary went in there to rough it up. And to be honest, he, he did rough it up a little bit. I mean, he fought some some parts of that fight. Horn kind of fought to Corcoran's fight, if you like, and those rounds were the ones where he didn't like it, and he was being roughed up a bit in front of his own people on the road there. But but the stoppage came in round eleven. Um, you know, Corcoran again. He was cutting the eighth, and you know his eyes looked really bad. Um, I thought the scorecards were were a little bit wide, to be completely honest. But. Um, yeah, I mean, in that round eleven, I'm not quite sure if the corner if the corner stopped it or the referee stopped it. It looked a little bit unclear because he didn't really take much punishment in that eleventh round. I mean, it was still early on in the round, but yeah, I mean, credit to Gary Cork, and I really like him. He's a good friend of the show. I'm I'm quite heartbroken for him really because he's such a nice fella, and you know. He kind of got shoehorned into this all a little bit quickly. Shoehorned, ignore the pun there. But yeah, I mean, he didn't disgrace himself. Hopefully he comes back and, you know, he's announced himself on the world there. The Australians liked him. I was happy that they interviewed him in the ring after. They sometimes don't interview the loser. And they did that. And I think he gained some fans over there. They liked him. So hopefully he can capitalise on that. And hopefully he enjoys Christmas, has a couple weeks off, and he's back in the new year stronger, smarter, and better off all round. So all the very best to Gary Corcoran. Now, talking about the final bill to mention, this one obviously was the York Hall card yesterday. Obviously, Katie Taylor's first defense of her 
WBA world title. We're going to start with the undercard here. Uh, this one was obviously at the York Hall, the mecca of boxing in the UK, one of my favourite venues. So we're going to start off on this bill. I know that some of the fights were shown on Facebook. I didn't see those. Gamal Yafai moved to 13-0. and 0. It was a TKO in round three against Ricky Starkey, who was 2-3, and three, now 2-4. and four. He's also got two draws. Felix Cash moved to 7-0 and 0 with a TKO in round one against Greg O'Neill. Greg O'Neill um, you know, he's been knocked out most of his losses. I think he got he got knocked out by Lewis Taylor. He actually went the distance with um, Anthony Agogo when Anthony Agogo was 4-0. So, yeah, decent win there. Well, quite a good win, to be honest. The first round knockout for Felix Cash. Um, Lawrence Acoli, he moved to 7-0. It was a shame that Isaac Chamberlain wasn't there at that exact point because right after the fight, he got on the mic and the post-fight interview and started saying quite a few derogatory things at Isaac Chamberlain, who wasn't there to say anything. But yeah, he took on a guy called Antonio Sosa, who was 4-6 and six with one draw. He'd been stopped a couple of times. Um, he took Nathan Gorman to the fifth round, this guy. And yeah, he actually got knocked out inside two rounds. He was down twice in round one as well and twice in round two ultimately when the referee stopped it um you know he was quite tough I suppose the guy but you know it was the same thing from Lawrence really he just throws big shots he's I think his footwork's got a bit better to be honest but yeah I mean many one twos everything's calculated I think he's improving all the time fight by fight Lawrence Okoli to be honest so that's why I would have really liked to see Isaac Chamberlain on this bill but unfortunately due to an injury he couldn't fight so um Hopefully the fight gets done. It's been made quite clear that Lawrence Okoli's accepted and signed his side of the contract. We're just waiting on Isaac now to do that. Also on the bill, Connor Ben. He moved to 11-0, and but I tell you what, it was a really, really up-and-down fight for Connor Ben. Connor Ben was down twice in round one by a guy here called Cedric Paynaud, who is now 5-5 five and five with three draws. A guy from France. Um, you know, the people that he's been in with, no real names on his record to be honest I mean he fought twice against Reynold Garrido who we all know very well he lost two of those fights there um, he actually won only one of his first seven pro fights but yeah since then you know he's, he's obviously turned into a bit of a tough guy I didn't really think he was a big puncher at all but when he put Conor Ben down twice in round one I was starting to get a bit worried there for Ben um Credit to Ben, though. You know, he got he got up. He lost probably the next one or two rounds after that, quite clearly. And then Paynaud himself got knocked down once in round five and once in round six. Um, the referee ultimately gave a points decision. It was Bob Williams. It was a points decision, 57-54 to 54 in favour of Conor Ben. Absolutely outrageous. There's no way in the world he won that fight by three points. Just it's just not happening. Eddie Hearn had it a draw. Johnny Nelson had it a draw. Darren Barker had it a draw. Connor Ben himself, I don't think he was even confident that he won that fight. Obviously, being down twice in the first round, I mean, thank God it wasn't a four-rounder, otherwise he'd have certainly lost. But yeah, it, it was a six-rounder. Um, Connor Ben being down twice, that's obviously a 10-7 round in favour of the challenger here, Paynaud. And Paynaud was down twice, obviously once in, in, in round five and once in round six. But those two... Um, knockdowns in separate rounds is a four-point discrepancy, whereas obviously two knockdowns in one round, that's a 10-7, there's only a three-point difference there. So there's that to think about. So in terms of the knockdowns, you'd have to say after all the knockdowns, Ben was up by 
one point, if, if you know what I mean there. So after round one, after round five and round six, if you put all those rounds together and pretend it was, you know, round one, two and three, then Connor Ben would be up by one point moving into the fourth round, if you if you know what I mean. That's just an example there. Um, also on the bill, Joe Caldina, he moved to 6-0. and It was a TKO in four rounds against Lee Connolly. Lee Connolly, um, it was his 41st fight and it was his 31st loss. He's only been knocked out five times in total now. He went the distance with Scott Cardle, went the distance with John Joe Nevin, he went the distance with a few other guys, to be honest. Glenn Foote was one of them. Um, a few guys, to be honest. But yeah, Joe Caldina knocked him out in four rounds. Looked really good. Joe Caldina's obviously a, an Olympian coming through that's really looking good. He's now 6-0 and with five knockouts. Really impressed by him. Ted Cheeseman moved to 12-0. and It was a points win over eight rounds against Tony Dixon. Tony Dixon was 10-1. and That one loss coming to Paddy Gallagher. He was knocked out in the first round. He could have got caught cold a little bit, if you like. But yeah, he went in the distance here, but he lost every round to Ted Cheeseman. So great win there for Ted Cheeseman. Also on the bill, Jake Bull. He took on Miles Shinquin. The commentary was absolutely awful. They were really favouring everything that Jake Ball did. Um, the vacant WBA Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title was on the line. The scorecards were a little bit atrocious, in my honest opinion. 97-93, 98-92, and 98-92 in favour of Jake Ball. Um, after six rounds, I had it level. I think Jake Ball did end up winning the fight, but... You know, they just weren't calling anything that Miles Shinquin did. Jake Ball was jabbing a lot, whereas Miles Shinquin was throwing the overhand rights and catching Jake Ball. So, yeah, ultimately, very, very saddened for Shinquin because he's a good friend of mine. So is Jake Ball. So, Miles Shinquin now 14 and 3, and the new champion, the WBA Intercontinental light heavyweight champion, Jake Ball, 11 and 1. Also on the bill, Josh Kelly. He moved to 5 and 0. It was a TKO over six rounds against John Michel. Hamil Cara, I think his name is. His record 25 and 9 with three draws now. He's been stopped four times in total. But I tell you what, it was really impressive from Josh Kelly. A real step up. He was down twice in round six, um, Hamil Caro. He was down twice in round six. I mean, he got stopped in five rounds by Jack Corkai, obviously, former world champion. So there's that kind of comparison there. But that was back in 2012. I think since then he's become a little bit better, a little bit more of a clever boxer, the Frenchman. Josh Kelly, like I say, always puts on a show. He did once again, but I mean, he didn't look overly impressive because he didn't really have every single thing his own way. The only reason is because he's moved up in level so quickly. So we've got to be patient with Josh Kelly. He's, he really looks the goods, doesn't he? So very exciting prospect. Coming down to the last two fights now, Martin J. Ward, he scored a knockout in round six against Julie Jiner. This one was for the vacant EBU super featherweight title. Martin J. Ward, he doesn't really get talked of as a power puncher. He's now got nine knockouts inside 19 wins and two draws. That's 21 fights in total, unbeaten. Julie Jiner, I mean, he'd been knocked out once before in his two losses previously. His record now 21-3 and with one draw. He was knocked out by Miguel Roman, who we mentioned earlier, who just knocked out Salido. So, you know, no real shame in that. And that was a really close fight, by the way, against Roman. And he was just um, behind in that fight by one point at the time of the knockout in round eight. So, yeah, Martin J. Wall, to do that in round six and to pretty much... I won't say he won every round, but yeah, he, he was winning. He was winning by a few points at the time of the stoppage. I think three points after five rounds. So, you know, really impressive, dominant performance there from Martin J. Ward. He stepped up in class. He's won the EBU Super Featherweight title, and hopefully this sets up a few big fights down the line. They're talking about the Stephen Smith fight. 
it may or may not happen. Let's wait and see. And the final fight, it's only right to mention this final because it was the main event. It was the special Irish, um, what can I call her? The Irish medallion, I'm going to call her. She is absolutely fantastic. She moved to 8-0, by the way, and she is Katie Taylor. She took on the American Jessica McCaskill. I don't know if Jessica McCaskill has got any amateur experience, but as a pro, she was 5-1 and one going in. You wouldn't imagine she is as seasoned as Katie Taylor. All we did know is we were told that McCaskill has got a big punch. I mean, I mean, you can decide on that and say what you like. I mean, she, she knocked out three people in six fights, so I'm not quite sure you can say she's got a huge punch or anything, but yeah. Um, the interesting thing was Taylor lost a point in round seven for persistent holding. She was told off a few times by the referee Howard Foster. It was for, of course, the WBA World Female Lightweight title. Katie Taylor didn't really have things her own way um, for much of the fight. She she found herself on the back foot. I mean, this this American lady just kept coming forward, relentless, really hungry as well. I mean, she definitely came to fight. You know, when you see the referee jump in between two fighters and say, "Okay, listen, calm it down," and the whole time one of the fighters is not looking at the referee, just looking straight in the eyes of the fighter opposite. Well, that was the kind of girl that Jessica McCaskill was. She came over. She didn't um, disgrace herself at all. She comes from Chicago, Illinois, and she will go back to Chicago, Illinois with a few extra fans. I'm certainly one of them. I think she came over and gave Katie Taylor a good fight. She hurt Katie Taylor in one of the rounds as well. Like I say, didn't have it her own way, but I think... She she was definitely the rightful winner, but again, I think the scorecards were probably a tad wide, especially one of the rounds being a 10-8 in favour of Jessica McCaskill. So, the scorecards on this one were 97-92 twice and 98-91, all in favour of the champion, and still Katie Taylor. She's now 8-0. Right, I've tried to go through that as quick as possible. My apologies if it was a little bit long-winded. My apologies also if you couldn't understand it because I was trying to rap through it. There was a lot to go over. It's now time to bring in the first guest who was a big part of the reviewing. He fought just a couple of days ago. It's now time to bring in, just before we end part one, our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2016 Olympic silver medalist and now the unbeaten featherweight prospect, Mr. Shakur Stevenson. Shakur, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? It's all good, my man. It's all good. It's all good. This this interview is something that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. So, Shakur, I just want to briefly touch on your Olympic success last year. Obviously, you know, you got further than the rest of the men's Olympic team from the United States. How did it feel to go on that far to win that silver medal in Rio? It felt great. Uh, I, I, I had it in my mind that I was going to win a gold medal, so I knew that I'm going to go as far as, 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 far as I did. And I, I expected to go farther, but everything happens for a reason, and I'm a lot mentally stronger now. Okay, fair enough. Very honest of you to say there. Obviously, you know, when you returned from Rio, you were approached by a few promoters to turn professional, one of them being Floyd Mayweather. However, you decided to pass up on that and to sign with Bob Arum's top rank. I just wanted to really ask you, what happened there? How come you passed up on the opportunity to sign with Floyd, and what attracted you to Top Rank? Top Rank, they was they was a lot more professional with the uh, the way that they carried their stuff, and they did everything the right way. And I guess with all the other promoters, they wasn't as professional. And Top Rank, they have a great track track record of making uh, superstars, and uh, I'm ready to be a superstar. So I I felt like that was the best place for me to go. And 
that's where I went. Yeah, I don't think I can disagree with that. I think Top Rank are probably probably the best promotional team in the world, to be completely honest. So, obviously, you turned pro on April the 22nd of this year. You recorded a technical decision in round six over Edgar Brito. Um, since then, you fought a month later against Carlos Suarez, in which you grabbed your first professional stoppage, a knockout there. And then since then, you've had two fights, Grayson against David Paz back in August. And just before I get on to your most recent fight, is there anything that you'd like to add at all to those three fights I just mentioned there? No, nah, nothing at all. Uh, everything went how it's supposed to go away. I'm going to keep working. And obviously, you know, we, we see a lot of guys turn pro and they fight guys with more losses than wins. You've had four fights now. None of, you know, none of the opponents have had losing records. You've fought, you know, decent guys. And obviously, most recently, only a few days ago on the Lomachenko-Rigondo undercard, you became the first man to knock out Oscar Mendoza. And what surprised me, because I've watched all of your fights, Shakur, and what surprised me about your performance was from the first bell, and I was watching it live on TV, from the first bell, you really came out firing. You were smashing um, Oscar Mendoza to the body. You know, like, I've never really seen you go to the body with so much intent like you did a lot of people were you know were trying to compare you to Michael Conlon who up until Saturday he'd knocked everybody out uh, you know some people were were very impressed with him maybe favoring him over you if you like and it kind of seemed like you were a man on a mission like you went out there to make a statement um, obviously the guy had never been stopped before you're the first man to stop him am I right in what I saw there how did you see it you're 100% right uh, my mindset going into the ring was to make a statement. I wanted to make a statement on ESPN. I know that, that this was the first car me and Michael Conlon was on, and I'm competitive. So my mindset was I need to go out there and shine hard and let my hands go and make a statement, and that's what I did. So. Yeah, you certainly did. You certainly did. And obviously, it's been widely reported that you were recently sparring. You did some rounds with Lomachenko. How 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 did that go for you, uh, Shakur? How good is he? What did you learn in that spar? Lomachenko, he's a great champion and he's an elite-level fighter. I learned that I need to make sure that boxing stays and, and remains my life. I need to stay 100% focused and dedicate my all to this craft because when I was down there, it looked like Lomachenko, he dedicates everything to his craft, and he's 100% focused. So I learned that if I do that, there's no limits to where, where I could take this. Yeah, you're 100% right there. And, you know, sparring a man like Lomachenko with so much experience like he has, and, you know, to go over there in his camp at a young age, you're only 20, it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. It can only, you know set up big things for you down the line mentally as well. It's, it's, it's a brilliant thing. I'm happy that you did that. Um, I want to ask you also, Shakur, what other guys have you sparred some other big names that we that we may have heard of aside from Lomachenko? Uh, besides Lomachenko, I've been in the ring with Terrence Crawford. I've been in the ring with Gary Russell. It's, it's a couple of uh, other guys. Uh, Jesse Magdaleno, Joseph Diaz. Uh, I've been in the, ring, in the ring with a lot of the quality is fine. Yeah, I know all those names there very well. Um, when you mentioned Gary Russell, that's the, the current WBC world champion, right? Yes. Okay. And I want to ask you also, obviously he's a world champion at featherweight. You're campaigning at featherweight. Um, I wasn't sure if you were 100% settled into a weight yet. Is that going to be the weight that you're fighting at featherweight for the bigger fights? 
most likely I'm gonna get I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna, as I age I'm gonna get older and I'm gonna keep growing. So most likely I'm gonna move up in weight divisions, but right now my mind is on the featherweight division. I'm, I'm focused on taking over that division first. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I want to ask you also your reaction to the main event this this past Saturday. Obviously, the the, the card that you were on, Rogondo Lomachenko. A lot of people saying that uh, that Rogondo quit in that fight. I mean, I I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. I mean, I I kind of thought that Lomachenko would win the fight before it happened, but I didn't really see him winning it the way he did. He looked so dominant. What did you make of it? Yeah, uh, it kind of looked like he came in there for a check. I thought uh, the fight was going to be a lot more competitive. Even at the sparring room, I thought it was going to be a competitive fight. I thought Rigadala is a great champion. He also got two Olympic gold medals. But I, I ain't seen no effort in that fight. Like, I ain't seen him effortly going there and try or throw punches. And, like, it didn't seem like, with all due respect to Lemachenko, it didn't seem like Lemachenko was just all that good. It seemed like Rigadala just didn't try. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, a lot of people saying that. I mean, Rogondo was very, very under-impressive. You know, a lot of holding, that was really the only thing you could... I, I can remember him doing, to be completely honest. Um, talking about Michael Conlon now, obviously, you know, a lot of people, like I say, they compare you to... Is that a fight that you believe will happen in the future? As Bob Arum said, that it's in, you know, in your future plans. Is it a fight that you want? Where are we with that, with that fight? Is it too soon? I don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon, but uh, I'm a I'm a hundred percent sure that's a fight that I I would want. And if it was presented to me tomorrow or any day, I'll take that fight because I know deep down inside that I would beat him if we fought in the Olympics tomorrow. Few years, I would I would beat him. So I will take that fight, and it should be a future big fight later on down the line. And hopefully it's in Madison Square Garden in the big room. Yeah, that's 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 a uh, that's a venue that I think would that, that it probably will happen in if it does if it does end up happening. Hopefully for some kind of um, some kind of belt of some sort. I believe it it can be built you know built into a huge fight down the line. Um, and coming down to the last couple questions now, really Shakur. Um, obviously you know we all know that you're closely associated with Andre Ward. What kind of role does Andre Ward? play in your career has he got an official role he's he's basically my idol he uh he's my manager so oh, okay. he 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 shows me the ropes as far as boxing and show me how to act outside the ring he's a, a great example for me and i always say this i'm gonna keep saying it i'm blessed to have andre Ward in my life yeah i mean i've sat down with andre Ward and spoke to him for you know decent periods of time and you know just hearing him talk about you know his life outside the ring as well as his life inside the ring he's a really knowledgeable guy like you say there I'm echoing what you say he is he's he's a great man to have in your corner so to speak so you know what is it like to you know to have somebody with such knowledge somebody that went through their pro career he's now retired of course unbeaten that guy is surely you know one of the most richest in knowledge boxing people you can have in your corner Shakur it's amazing. Andre Ward's a he's a great example inside and outside of the ring. Uh he retired and he's retired with his funds as in like a lot of boxers, they retire with nothing at all, man. He did it the right way, he did it how how he wanted to do it and I respect it. So uh it's amazing to have him in our corner. Yeah, for sure. 
And I'm asking everybody that I interview in this month of December this same question, Shakur. What is on your Christmas wish list in terms of your boxing career for next year? Where do you see yourself in a realistic world? Where can you get to this time next year? What do you want to happen in in the year of 2018 for yourself? I want to become... I know I'm a big prospect already, but I want to become an even bigger prospect. I want to go into 2018 knowing that I'm a have my title shot my 2019 year so I want to fight as much as possible and I want to keep making statements big statements and I know that you know you're only a young guy you you probably don't know the history of the UK boxers too much but I like to ask this question if you know you can you can say um, any fighter it can even be one that's still fighting now who would you say is your favorite UK fighter from any era, Shakur? I like to ask this question to you know to all the Americans that we speak to. My favorite UK fighter, I think I'm gonna have to go with Prince Nazim. Oh, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I didn't think you'd you'd know about Prince. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, he got an awkward style, and he could switch southpaw, and he could punch with both hands, and he had a lot of. Uh, he was, he was really exciting. Like, I like I like how exciting he was, so I'm going to go with Prince Nassim. Yeah, everybody pretty much does go with Prince Nassim. He's the most popular answer. I'm really happy to hear you say that. I'm happy that you know about Prince Nassim, uh, you know, a fighter that, uh, you know, really put the UK on the map in boxing. And finally, the final question I've got for you now, Shakur, it's not really a question. It's really, I just want to give you an opportunity to send out a message to your UK fans. You've got a lot of guys over here who are well aware of, you know, your talents and who you are as a boxer. What's your message to your UK supporters? Shout out to my UK supporters and everybody in that area. I appreciate y'all and hopefully I'll be coming over there to fight someday and put a big fight over there with all them fans that they be having. So thank you and keep supporting me. I'm going to keep turning up. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, listen, Shakur, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I'd like to thank you for your time. I'd like to wish you the best of luck in your future and have a great Christmas and a great New Year, and we'll speak again sometime soon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part, but as always, you're used to it by now, I'm sure. We go over to Ayaz, the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world. Ayaz, what news have you got for us this week? Tyson Fury and Huey Fury have been cleared from UCAT and are free to box now. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit unclear as to what's kind of gone on. I've heard things that apparently Tyson Fury's pleaded guilty. Then I've also heard things that apparently both parties compromised. And, you know, it just seems mad. But I don't quite know how deep Huey Fury's in this. Because, obviously, Huey Fury, he's been fighting. He hasn't been inactive for two years. Obviously, Tyson Fury was inactive for two years. He's accepted a two-year ban that, from my understanding, has been backdated, so he's now cleared to fight. But I don't understand Huey Fury. I mean, he's fought in that two years. He fought for the world title. So I'm a bit confused, really, at this stage with the whole thing. But all I really care about now is that they're both cleared. Well, not not so much Huey Fury, because I didn't think that he needed to be cleared, um, you know, with his obviously continued boxing career in this time. But obviously the news that Tyson Fury coming back is absolutely brilliant. I'm over the moon. And I just can't wait to see him back in the ring, to be completely honest. I saw a little a little joke he did on Twitter. He basically said, is there any is there any chance I can jump on a plane to Canada and get on the Saunders Lemieux undercard? So, uh, yeah, I'd like to see him back very soon, but perhaps not that soon. 
Kelbrook will return to the ring on March the 3rd at 154-pound Super Worldweight uh, to face Belarusian Sergei Rabchenko. Yeah, Rabchenko's a guy that was associated with Ricky Hatton for quite a while. I remember him being undefeated um, at something like 27-0 and or 28-0, and something like that. And since then, he's fought a couple, you know, a couple of hard fights and he's lost when, when he's really stepped up the level. So I don't really think, you know, this is a brilliant fight. I mean, it's not. Let's be completely honest. But, I mean, I want to see Kell Brook obviously moved up at 154. I'm excited to see what he'll be about. But remember, the the situation that he's got with the two, the, you know, the two eye injuries that he's had, that's a real worry against anybody. So, um, yeah, Sergei Rubchenko, I mean, his record, I've just pulled it up now, 29-2. and two. He's been knocked out once, and that was against Tony Harrison. Um, you know, Tony Harrison obviously can bang a bit, but, you know, his other loss was to... Anthony Mundine, that was a split decision back in 2014, so that's not really, you know, a good man to lose to, I don't think, um, Anthony Mundine, but, you know, Tony Harrison's a solid fighter, I suppose, I mean, you know, he pushed um, Jarrett Hurd pretty close recently to that to that vacant world title, but, yeah, I don't really think he's going to be able to offer too much against Kell Brook if Kell Brook doesn't get caught on the eye, to be completely honest. I think that, you know, Kell Brook's obviously a really good fighter, let's be honest. He really is. When he's on form, he's absolutely brilliant. And I'm glad he's not going to be killing himself to make the weight. I'm more excited about seeing his return to see what he looks like at the weight rather than the fight itself, if that makes any sense. But yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty pretty easy first fight for Kell Brook. Some people were talking about the Sam Eggington fight. You know, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Both guys moving up there. And, you know, both guys, obviously, big part of, of Matram's plans. That was never going to happen. But this is a fight where it's not really one of the names that we were expecting. There's lots of names at 154, and it's probably not one of them. But, yeah, it's a decent fight, I suppose. And finally, Ryan Rochelieu will look to defend his British featherweight title against Isaac Lowe on February 17th at Manchester Arena on the Gross Eubank undercard. Yeah, to be completely honest, these World Boxing Super Series undercards haven't really been all that great, but this is a fantastic fight, it really is. Um, I'm not not talking about all their undercards. Some of them have been okay, but... You know, some of them weren't all that. And this is a really, really good fight. I'm very pleased for Isaac Lowe. I sent him a message earlier today. You know, I congratulated him on getting the fight. And, you know, he's he's over the moon with it. And he knows that this is his chance to shine here. You know, he's 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 done it the hard way, Isaac Lowe, in many ways. And I'd really like to see him win this fight. Because I think that it's a winnable fight for him. I think that Ryan Walsh is a decent, solid fighter to a certain level. I think Isaac Lowe, you know... He showed glimpses of really good, you know, really good character, really good uh, boxing skill. But on the top, top level, he just hasn't really had the opportunity to do it. Obviously, we know what happened when he went on the road. And, and you know, that all went completely uh, terribly for him with, with the cut and all things like that. But this is a great, great opportunity for him on a big stage. And I'm just really pleased that he's got it, to be honest. Sauerland have really come through on this one. And, you know, I kind of felt like they should have given him the rematch the first time round when he went over to fight their man for the European title. But, yeah, this is this is another chance that the Sauerlands have provided Isaac Lowe. And I just really hope he can win the fight. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of mine. And, you know, hopefully he wins it. That's it for the news. 
Okay, moving over now to the preview part of the show. There's a couple of fights later today. Um, we're going to be obviously doing the show now, so these fights would happen um, after the show is finished. So we will talk about the results on next week's show. But what we have over in France in... Um, a place where I can't really pronounce, but anyway, on this bill, even Mendy thirty nine and four with one draw takes on Jesus Aravalo, who's twenty five and two with one draw. That's for the WBC silver lightweight title. Even Mendy, just to remind everybody, that's the guy that beat Luke Campbell. Um, obviously, Luke Campbell's now got two losses on his record, but the first guy to beat him. Um, also on the undercard here, Johan Duapas, former opponent of Deontay Wilder, his record 36-4. and He fights for the WBA International Heavyweight title. I think that belt's actually his, so I think he's defending it here against a guy called Nuthel Uata who's 15-1. and one. I haven't heard anything of him. Um, also on the undercard, Oscar Rivas. That's a bit of a strange one. I think that's the Colombian by way of Canada or something bizarre like that. Uh, his record 21-0. and 0. He takes on Gabriel Nguma, who is 8-3. That's a 10-rounder there. Strange fight there for France. Moving over now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. Topping the bill over here, Diego De La Hoya, 20-0 now. He takes on Jose Salgado, who's 35-4 with two draws. Um, I really should have pulled up Jose Salgado's record, but I'm sure I've seen him fight somebody um, of note before. I can't remember who it was now. Just bear with me one second while I pull it up. And I've done it that quickly. He took on um, Wissak Selwangek, the guy that beat Chocolatito twice this year, who's arguably fire of the year. He got knocked out in the fourth round by Wangek. He's also took on the likes of Carlos Quadras as well, at Laborio Solis, the... Um, the bogeyman to Jamie McDonnell. So, yeah, that should be a real good fight there. Big step up there for Diego De La Hoya, but I think he's, you know, quite a great fighter, to be honest. So I think he probably will come through that test. Also on the undercard there, Joshua Franco, 12-0, takes on Carlos Maldonado, who's 9-1. Uh, Jonathan Navarro, 11-0, takes on Nelson Lara, who is 17-8 with four draws. That's a eight-rounder there. Uh, that's really it for that one. Moving over now to the BB King Blues Club and Grill. And you know that's my type of venue in New York. This is a Lou DiBella card, this one. Um, one fight really of note to mention on this bill, I say. The return of former world champion Dijon Zlatikanin, 22-1. He returns to the ring after being knocked out by Mikey Garcia. Really, really brutal knockout earlier on in the year. Some people forget about that. That's arguably knockout of the year, to be completely honest, when we talk about those in a couple of weeks' time. He takes on Hevison Herrera, who is 22-13 with one draw. So a bit of an easy touch there. That's an eight-rounder for Zlatichanin. Moving over now to Russia. This one's Friday. Um, some of the others that I've mentioned have been on Friday as well. This one's Friday tomorrow. Alexander Povetkin, 32-1, fights Christian Hammer, 22-3. Obviously, Christian Hammer we know very well. He took on uh, Tyson Fury. The WBA International and the WBO International Heavyweight titles, both on the line. Both of those belts, if I'm not mistaken, held by Povetkin. He's high up with the WBA, as we all know. Um... 
Yeah, I mean, this fight, eyes. I think we're going to go to predictions on it. Um, obviously, like I said, we know Christian Hammer very well. We know Pavetkin very well. Pavetkin been in the headlines recently for all the wrong reasons. But hopefully he's clean this time. But how do you see that fight playing out between those two guys there, Pavetkin and uh, Christian Hammer? Remember, Christian Hammer beat David Price as well recently, I should mention. I'm going to go for Alexander Povetkin knockout. I reckon Povetkin will be stopping him easily. I think Povetkin's a very good fighter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Povetkin knocks him out. We asked our listeners. They've gone with Povetkin to win by knockout, but you know, they actually voted for every outcome. There's a vote even for Hammer to win by knockout. 25% going with Hammer to win by knockout. So, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. But 63% going with Povetkin by knockout. So we all agree on that one. Um, hopefully it's not too much like last week. I, as you and the listeners, literally every single prediction that you both made, you went with the same things there. So hopefully there's a bit of divide. Um, there's a few more fights to predict as well that we'll talk about in a few moments' time. Um, also on that under undercard just having a little look nope there's nothing on the undercard really to mention moving over now to the i think it's pronounced the murphy leisure center in some part of wales which i'm not even going to try to pronounce obviously united kingdom there is a fight on the bill worth mentioning here the return of world champion lee haskins 34 and 4 he's in a six rounder against ghana's very own isaac quay i think he's from ghana i'm sure he's from ghana hopefully i've got that right i'm not offending nobody there that's a six rounder anyway isaac quay 31 and 14 with one draw so hopefully lee haskins gets the job done there he's had a bit of a rocky year i suppose lee haskins but he's a good fighter um moving over now to the Pioneer Event Center in Lancaster, California, USA. This one is a TGB Promotions card. It's going to be shown on USA Fox Sports 1. What have we got on this bill? On the undercard, we've got former world champion Jesse Vargas, 27-2. and He takes on Aaron Herrera, 33-7 and with one draw. I'm sure Aaron Herrera shared the ring recently with... Brandon Rios, I'm sure he did. Maybe not too recently, but I'm sure he did. So that should be quite decent. That's a 10-rounder. Another really good fight on this bill, the puncher John Molina. His record, of course, 29-7. and That's John Molina Jr. I remember his absolute bloodbath of a fight against Provodnikov and against... Um, uh, against Lucas Matisse, that was that was an unbelievable fight there, both men were down a few times if I'm not mistaken, anyway he takes on Ivan Redcatch who's 20 and 3 with one draw, if I'm not mistaken I think Redcatch lost um, not too long ago to Tevin Farmer who we all know should be the world champion today, he really should be, he got a dodgy decision that we mentioned earlier on in the show, and the main event here, Diego Chavez, former opponent of Brandon Rios once again, his record 26-2 and with one draw, he takes on Jamal James, 21-1, and a bit of a prospect Jamal James, so that should be quite decent, but I think Chavez, you know, he's been around the block a bit, I think he probably will get the win there. Now moving out to Canada, Quebec, Canada at the Place Bell. This is really the card that I'm looking forward to most this week. On the undercard, our very own Nicola Adams, 2-0, takes on Soledad Macedo, who's 15-13 with one draw. Also on this bill, we have Cletus Seldin, 21-0. We saw him fight recently, got a knockout early on in the fight. I can't remember what card it was on, but, you know, he's the New Yorker guy who... um, He's very likable, he's he's a character as well, and he's got a punch on him as well, so he's a nice guy. But anyway, he takes on a guy called Eves Ulysse Jr., who's 14-1. I remember this guy beat 
um, Zachary Ochoa. He, I think he stopped Zachary Ochoa. So this guy really impressed me. But then a couple of months ago, he lost to a guy who I don't think he should have lost to. And I think it's only about two months since the loss, and he's jumping straight back in against an undefeated banger in Cletus Seldin. So credit to Eves Ulysses here, but... I'm probably saying his name wrong, but anyway, credit to him, but I think it's a really hard fight, and a little bit poor advice to jump in another fight just two months after, you know, after losing, so... All the very best to both men in that fight, but that should really be good. That's gone under the radar. And also, another fight that's gone under the radar, 22-1 and with one draw, Antoine Douglas. It's for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title, and he takes on Gary Spike O'Sullivan. Of course, Gary Spike O'Sullivan is 26-2. and Now, this is a really good fight. This is another fight that we've mentioned on Twitter. We've gone to the predictions for. And the first few votes, when I actually saw it, the first few votes... Everybody was going with Antoine Douglas to win. But as I'm checking it now, Spike has actually jumped in the lead with a knockout. He's got 43% of the votes. But um, Antoine Douglas has got 26% by a knockout. Both men can bang here. Obviously, you know, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, the one loss that you could really say, you know... He, he, he got fairly beaten up in, really, was the Eubank Jr. one. Obviously, he retired with an injury. The Billy Joe Saunders fight, he lost quite wide. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's known as a puncher, Gary Spike O'Sullivan. But if I'm not mistaken, I think Antoine Douglas might even have a higher knockout ratio. Antoine Douglas has got 16 knockouts from 22 wins. He's got one loss and one draw. The one loss, he was knocked out to Kurt Sidzi, which was a... 10th round TKO, but he was down in round 3 and round 7 of that fight. So, um, yeah, he's a puncher, but it looks like he may not have the greatest chin just looking at that. And I don't really think Kurt Sidzi had much boxing skill. I think he was more of a brawler, more of one of those guys who gets on the inside and throws the big overhand. So, um, yeah, I think this is a this is a decent fight, to be completely honest. But yeah, just checking it, he has got a higher knockout ratio than Gary Spike O'Sullivan, so I'm guessing it probably doesn't go the distance. However, it is a 10-round fight, and there's a belt on the line here. Both men need to be on their A-game. Um, Ayers, how do you see it going? Obviously, Spike and Antoine Douglas. You probably don't know much about Antoine Douglas, but he's he's been highly touted. He really has by the Americans. I don't know much about Anton Douglas, but I know a lot about Spike O'Sullivan. Obviously, seen a couple of his fights. To be honest, I'm not quite sure. But if I'm going to go for a win, I'm going to go for Spike O'Sullivan. Knockout or points? I'm going to go for a knockout. Okay. Now, I'm going to say this because I need to cover myself here because... You know, Gary Spike O'Sullivan's a really, really, really good friend of the show. And he's one of my favourite people in boxing. But... Simply because I need to try and win some points on this prediction league, which I lose sleep of at night about because I'm so far behind. I'm going to have to go with Antoine Douglas. And I'm going to go with Antoine Douglas by... I think I'm going to go with him to win on points. And I'm only doing it because I just want to go against you and the listeners because I need to... I just need some points. I really do. I'd do anything for some points. Um... So, yeah, if if you're listening at all, Spike, then I'm very sorry. And, you know, 
you can punch me when you well you can't actually but you know what i mean spike i i love you really um moving up the bill once again here billy joe saunders 25 and oh he defends his wbo world middleweight title against david lemieux obviously a 12 round fight we all know david lemieux very well as david lemieux punches like a mule um you know the one the one loss that I remember most recently, obviously, being the Golovkin loss. That was a fight where Golovkin turned up in that fight, you know, really switched on. He knew that he couldn't afford to take risks, and he was a really technically sound, um, you know, version of himself there, Golovkin. Obviously, he ended up getting the knockout in the eighth round. He won every round, but, you know, Lemieux can punch himself. Lemieux's obviously got wins over multiple good guys. Um, you know, he was he lost to Marco Antonio Rubio. That was a long time ago now. But, yeah, he hasn't really lost, aside from the Golovkin loss. He hasn't lost for... Um, for six years, aside from that Golovkin loss. And, you know, he's beaten a few guys. He's got four wins since that Golovkin loss. Obviously, he knocked out Glenn Tapia. He got a win over Christian Rios. He knocked out Curtis Stevens. I remember that. That's another, you know, another shout for knockout of the year. Let's be honest, that was brutal. And most recently, he went the distance with Marcos Reyes. That was back in May. Um, the way I see this fight, really, is I think that, obviously... Billy Joe being the slick boxer that he can be, being a southpaw also, I think that I think that he can probably box rings around Lemieux, but Lemieux obviously carries that power where if he lands one punch, the fight can be over. And I just think that when you look at, you know, like the Hassan and Dam fight, which was obviously a fight where he won, and he won pretty wide when you look at it, but Hassan Endam gave him a lot of problems because Hassan Endam's a good boxer, but he just doesn't have the best of chins, whereas I think that Billy Joe being the good boxer that he is and also being a southpaw, I think he should be able to do it. I really do. And this fight also kind of reminds me a little bit of, only a little bit of the Andy Lee fight against Billy Joe Saunders where Andy Lee's a guy that can take you out with one shot and he can also be outboxed. And I kind of feel like this is the same sort of fight, even though I think Lemieux's more, you know, more sort of well-rounded than than um, Andy Lee. I think he's he's more dangerous as well. I think he's, especially at this point in his career as well, he's really looking good. I think Andy Lee's a little bit past it now. But when you really look at it, let's be honest as well, guys, let's not give too much plaudits to Billy Joe Saunders. You know, the last two fights he's been in have been completely boring. They've gone the distance, obviously, but since losing to Andy Lee, oh, sorry, since beating Andy Lee, I should say, that, that defence against Artur Akovov, he looked terrible. Then against William Monroe Jr., he didn't look so good. So he's going to really need to pull out a performance here and... I'm not 100% sure he can do it. I'm, I'm hoping it's a good fight, but it's a hard one to call. I'm going to disagree with you with that. I'll tell you one thing. I like Billy Joe Saunders. I reckon he's a very good fighter. He's been to the Olympics. He's got, he's got a good couple of names records on his. He's got a couple of name, good names on his record. The likes of Chris Eubank Jr. is beating on points. Andy Lee, brilliant performance. Willie Monroe Jr. And the reason he had, didn't have a disappointing fight with Willie Monroe Jr. is because he was... He didn't fight for an over a year. He fought, what, Arta Akikov. At the time, he had no trainer in his ring. The people, A lot of people thought he lost that fight. He just about won it on points. He didn't fight until the September... And he didn't fight the whole of... Two, in September 2016, he only fought once, and that was Akikov. And he didn't fight until, what, September 2017 against, what, Willie Monroe Jr. So in the space of 10 months, he only fought once. Now, if you look at it, yeah, within four months later, he's found Billy Joe. That's now he's starting to get. He's got. He's got rid of that ring rust. Now he's obviously fighting 
a big puncher, David Lemieux. Now, we know David Lemieux. I see his fighting against when he knocked out Glenn Tapia with that right hand. Oh, wow, what a right hook. What a beautiful hook. David Lemieux's got power. Billy Joe's got boxing. Uh, the way to beat uh, David Lemieux, you've got to box him. And for me, I reckon David Lemieux's going to go for that knock- knockout, but Billy Joe's going to outbox him, like jab him, box, box and move him. And for, for me, I think it's going to be, it's going to be David Lemieux's going to try to go for an early knockout. But if I'm going to go for a win, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for the Britain. I'm rooting for Billy Joe Saunders to win that fight on points. And then I reckon it's going to, he's going to be set up for big, big fights. Because the thing is, in Canada and America, they don't really know much about him. Apart from Golovkin, uh, Golovkin, that's who really knows him, Golovkin in Canada. But apart from that, no one, no one else really knows much about him. So I reckon now he's fighting HBO, he's going to have more exposure in America and Canada. So if he beats David Lemieux, that's a big name on his record, a big name. And I reckon he'll beat him on points. That's another thing that you mentioned there. I mean, you know, I agree with you. The two fights that he's had, yeah, okay, he's been quite inactive, Billy Joe, but those two fights he hasn't looked good in. The last fight he really looked good in, let's be honest, was that Andy Lee fight, which, you know, I hate to remind everybody, but that was um, almost to the day. That was al- that was almost two years ago to the day. And, you know, he won that fight. It was a close fight. I mean, he won virtually because of the two knockdowns in the third round. It was a majority decision. So that was the last really good kind of fight or good performance that he put in, and it was still a very close fight. But here, he's going to need to look spectacular, and he hasn't done for almost two years. And even if he looks spectacular, there's no 100%, you know, safe... What's the word I'm looking for? There's no 100% surety, if you like, that he's going to get the nod here. Because remember, it's in David Lemieux's backyard. Now, one thing that I do want to touch on also that you said there, he's with the Ingalls now, he didn't have a trainer for the Akavov fight, you know, I think that's a good and valid point, I think that the shape he looks like he's in, is absolutely unbelievable, I'm really excited to see him get in there and do it, you've gone with Billy Joe on points, I am going to go with Billy Joe on points also, and the listeners have gone with Lemieux by knockout, 53% of them going with Lemieux by knockout there, I think that Lemieux's sort of got a few votes there because his his promoter or his management team retweeted the poll. So I think that they've done that. But that's good because that gives me and I as a chance to, you know, try and nick a point there. But yeah, I think he will win on points, but it's definitely not a given. It's it's a very hard fight um to to predict with any kind of uh like I say, like insurity, with any kind of um solid belief and no there's not much of it um one other point that i do want to bring up though i thought of something the other day obviously i went to the copper box show on saturday and there was two world title fights on the bill obviously you had selby and degal and you had all the young talent on the undercard yard and dubois but there's one thing that kind of got me thinking these two fights these two fight cards are both seven days apart could frank warren of perhaps put the copper box show on saturday on this saturday and turned it into like a pay-per-view on box nation or bt sports not that i want or i'm trying to promote pay-per-views but i'm just thinking i think he probably could have done that he could have got away with that i mean i don't know it'd be interesting to think what the listeners think of it but that would have been three world title fights along with anthony yard along with dubois Possibly you could have got some of the the undercard in Canada on that as well, like Gary Spike O'Sullivan. I'd have paid for that. No problem. I'd have definitely paid for that. But I think, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think Frank Warren 
couldn't really be in both places at once, and he wants to be out there with Billy Joe because he's so close with Billy Joe, and that's really his main priority fighter, I suppose. So, so I think he wanted to be out there. He didn't want to be here in the UK, and I think he needed to be at that show the other night. So credit to Frank Warren. I mean, it may not be just as it seems on the surface. It may be because he tried it and they knocked him back, and the, you know the copper box wasn't free on that day, and the, you know the Canada card weren't prepared to move it a week earlier or anything like that. It could have been some kind of scenario like that but you know if that is the case then credit to Frank Warren because I'd have definitely definitely paid for that three world title fights on one card and and all the stuff on the undercard I mean that would have been a brilliant card um Anyways, yeah, moving on from that card, moving over now to France once again. Uh, there's the heavyweight Olympic gold medalist Tony Yoka 2-0. He takes on Ali Baghouz, who's 10-1 with one draw. I think he lost last time out to Martin Bacoli. Um So all the very best to Tony Yoka. Also on that bill, the Scotsman. Willie Hutchinson, 1-0. He made his debut on Joe Joyce's undercard. Now he's fighting on Tony Yoka's undercard. So, yeah, he's definitely, you know, doing doing some cool stuff there, Willie Hutchinson. He's got a big fan base. He takes on a guy who's 4-6 and six called Cyril Jolie. Also on Saturday, it's gone under the radar once again at the Oldham Leisure Centre in Lancashire. Natasha Jonas, 3-0. She takes on Katerina Vistika, who is 1-9. I'd imagine that'd be quite one-sided there. That's a six-rounder, six two-minute rounds. All the very best to the very pretty Natasha Jonas. And that really wraps up the previewing part of the show. There was a little bit more to go over than what I first thought. But yeah, that wraps up the previewing. We've done the reviewing. We've done the news. We brought you the first guest, Shakur Stevenson. It's now time, just before we wrap up the show, to bring you guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the super featherweight prospect, the sharpshooter, Archie Sharp. Archie, welcome to the show, my man. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. Thanks for having me on. It's always my pleasure. Archie always is. Now, obviously, um, you fought the other night. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Firstly, when I typed your name into Google the other day, you come up on... Um, on on Frank Warren's website as a lightweight, but obviously you've been fighting at Super Feather, so I just wanted to really clear that up. You're a Super Feather, though, not a lightweight, right? Yeah, no, that's correct. I keep stressing to everyone about being a Super Featherweight. Uh, I've been coming in as a Super Featherweight weight, so um, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to be boxing for titles at Super Feather. So lightweight, I, I do I think on my debut. I boxed as a lightweight, so ever since then they've kind of kept it. But um, but yeah, no, I have been stressing I'm a super featherweight, mate. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, I thought so. So now, um, when I looked as well, the last time we spoke to you, it was just before your fight on Billy Joe's undercard back in September. I remember you came and sat with me for a few minutes on that night, actually. Um, you obviously defeated your opponent and became the quickest man to stop him also. Uh, good performance there, obviously finished by uh, a combination in one of the corners, and he, he didn't really fancy it. You kind of uh, beat the fight out of him, if you like. Moving on now to your last fight, which, of course, happened just this past Saturday I was sitting there ringside at the Copper Box on the Selby and the Gao undercard you successfully proceeded to 11-0 and against Rafael Castillo how would you assess your performance there Arch? Um, I thought it was a good performance uh, it was nice to do eight rounds that's what we kind of had we kind of had that um, setting stone on the way up to the fight anyway we, we were talking about getting the rounds in uh, obviously, if the stoppage was to come, then we would have chased up and got the stoppage. But uh, it never come. Uh, I still had a lot in my tank, so I still had a lot to go. So it was good. Like I said, I learned a lot from that fight than I had done in the last few fights. Uh, 
obviously because obviously because I went the eight rounds. So uh, no, I thought it was a good performance. Hardly got hit. Uh, my jab was working very well that night, and yeah, I thought it was a very overall good performance. Yeah, your jab really was working well. Um, you know, obviously sitting there ringside watching you, which I've done on many occasions now. I remember putting a tweet out on Twitter about how I'd like you to be shown on TV more. For the people that don't know that are listening to me now, Archie's a fighter that fights in both stances, throws a wide variety of shots, absolutely can really rip into the body and as you said there, you know, you really showed me some real spiteful-looking jabs the other night. You're you're very hard to read, Arch. You kind of throw shots from awkward and unexpected angles. Like I say, I've watched you a few times, and I never quite know what you're going to do at any given second. We need you on TV, man. Uh, no, I much appreciate that, mate. It was a good tweet as well. Like I say, it's nice to, to, um, for people to want to see me on the telly. Uh, I was hoping to be... On, on the TV on, on obviously at the uh, Cobble Cops the other day, but unfortunately I wasn't um, for whatever reason. Obviously I do know there was a lot on the, on the card and there was a few title shots and whatever else, so I won't get too much into it. But hopefully uh, in the new year they will be putting me on the TV to be able to show people what I can do. Do you know what I mean? I, like, I know what I'm capable of doing. I've seen obviously I'm doing it, and uh, people have seen it behind closed doors what I'm doing. Um, in sparring and whatever else, now it's just time to go out there and do do what I know I can do. And being on telly is the best way to do it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, not that I want to sort of discuss it in detail, but I was kind of thinking to myself, really and truly. I mean, it could have been for a variety of different reasons, but you know, I, I was kind of thinking Frank could have perhaps did the show like a week later, and then he could have had like a like an undercard, if you like, with two world titles on, obviously DeGale and, and Selby, um, on the Saturday night, and then a bit later on in the night, it could fly straight over to Canada, and you know we could we could see the, the you know the Saunders Lemieux card and bang it into some kind of pay per view. I thought he could have done that, to be fair. So um, yeah, I thought I'd have paid for that. That's all I'm saying. I'd have paid for it, but yeah. Um, Interesting, man. Interesting. I, I don't understand why he did it like that, but it could have been a variety of different reasons. Um, yeah. So as I said, you're now 11 and 0. You haven't really. I don't think you've lost a single round in your career thus far. I don't think. Do you know what the plan is for you? Do you know what's what's next for you? Do you know when you're next out at all at this stage? Um, I don't know when I'm next out. Uh, I'm not too sure. Um, obviously, I will be going for titles now in the new year. Uh, whatever titles. Not don't know what titles yet, but there's been talks and of certain fights to happen. So, uh, like I said, I get Christmas out of the way. It's been a very, very busy year. I think uh, I've been boxing every eight eight weeks, to, uh, every eight to ten weeks, which is good because, uh, like I said, I've been active. Um, I haven't had much rest, so I'm going to enjoy the Christmas, um, pick over, get ready for the new year. But it'll definitely be titles in the new year. Um, and then I have some people to start seeing me at my best then. The better the opponent and the better performance they'll see out of me. Yeah, like you say there, keeping busy fighting that regularly is a, a really good thing. Um, I can't, I, I haven't looked, and I can't remember this, I may I may be telling a little porky pie, but haven't you just become a father? Uh, I have got a little boy on the way, this on the way. February, so Right, okay. Yeah, 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 I've got a little boy due, so that's what I mean, I've got a busy year anyway ahead of me, but end of the day, the boxing... It won't affect nothing, but obviously, like I say, the first couple of months in um, in the new year, I'll be just getting things ready. I'll be still training, but uh, but yeah, no, definitely the titles in the new year, mate. 
brilliant man congrats on that also uh, i wanted to get your, oh, your reaction so no worries man i wanted to get your reaction if you saw it did you did you manage to catch the gal um do you know what i never i've never watched it live uh i watched it back yesterday as it goes just because i've heard a couple of uh i've heard people obviously commenting on the on the fight and i watched it back obviously straight away it was not james the best performance Ooh. it wasn't his night um it just looked like he just couldn't get himself going. But at the end of the day, you know what I mean? He, he, he had a tough fighter in front of him who, wouldn't, who would not step back. Do you know what I mean? The geezer was on him from the first round. Uh, and it just obviously wasn't James the girl's night. He couldn't get going. And like you said, I see a tweet that obviously back to the drawing board. Um, but it's unfortunate, really. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I have to agree. It was uh, hard to watch in, in some moments of that fight. I was actually sat next to former cruiserweight world champion Glenn McCrory for the for the duration of the night, really. And, you know, he was sitting there next to me saying, this does not look like an Olympic gold medalist in there tonight, you know. And I think he was right with that. Um, a couple of other fights I just want to ask you about, Arch. Um, did you catch Rigondo and Lomachenko at all? Um, no, I haven't even watched that either, to be honest with you. I've right. watched clips, uh, little bits of it, but I will be sitting down, um, obviously it's Wednesday today, the last few days have been so busy since the fight, um, when I get 10 minutes I'll sit down and I'm going to watch it through, but I have heard uh, Lovachenko looks on point as he always does, do you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. I thought I thought he was going to win, I had that result, I didn't have the, uh, the stoppage result, but I knew he was going to win. But I was a bit surprised, obviously, uh, Rigondo, obviously, retiring on his stall, so. Yeah, yeah, it shocked me as well. Um, have you got any kind of opinion on this Saturday's, uh, this Saturday's fight, Billy Joe and David Lemieux? Do you know enough about both guys to give a decent assessment on what you think may happen? Um, Billy Joe and, what, this fight was on the 16th, yeah? Was yeah, yeah. On, in Canada. Yeah. I think Billy Joe has to be on, on uh, top performance. Um, I think he's a tough fighter that he's got here. Uh, I've watched a little bit on him. I think Billy Joe will win. I think he'll win quite well because, uh, like I say, the better the opponent, especially when you come from a good amateur background and a good amateur pedigree, you know when to switch it up. And he's going to have to switch it up on the night. And I think he'll box very well. And he knows he's going over the canvas. He's got to um, put, put on a big performance. And I think oh, I honestly do think he'll deliver. I think he'll win um, on points convincingly. I think he'll outscore him. And yeah, it'd be a good fight. It'd be nice. It'd be good um, to see what our Billy Joe approach of it. Because obviously, I know he's talking about the big fight, the Triple G, and obviously the Alvarez and all that. So this is a good uh, stepping stone for him to see what sort of marker he's. If he has hard work, then obviously he's definitely not going to be ready for the bigger fight. But if he does cruise through it like I think he will do, then obviously he'd be ready for the big fights. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think that Billy Joe will probably get it on points. I really hope that there's no controversy, seeing as he's in Canada. Obviously, uh, David Lemieux being a former world champion himself, and he really has got like one of the hardest punches, pound for pound, in boxing. He can just hit you and uh, and put you to sleep, you know. So, well, I remember when he fought Golovkin. Golovkin had to be on his A game with him, and, and you know, we saw like a very kind of 
a, a little bit of a Golovkin that didn't want to take any risks. He knew what he was in there with that night. So, yeah, definitely can't overlook this man here. And the final question for you, Arch. I've been asking everybody this question in the month of December. It's what we've always done. What is on your Christmas wish list in terms of your boxing career for next year? So what, what can you what can you sit here and say that you believe may happen or want to happen in a realistic world in, in 2018 for you? Um, definitely, like I say, we're having titles. Um, what titles? I'm not too sure I've got to sit for the team. But it'd be nice to obviously definitely clear up the Southern Area title for, um, and then maybe a little WBO European title or something like that there, whatever, um, whatever titles are out there. But there will be not just one title next year, there'll be a couple of titles. So hopefully it, by this time next year, we'll be chatting again about bigger titles. But there's definitely some on the list uh, it's for 2018. Absolutely, absolutely. And just before I let you go, Arch, any kind of message to, to, to you know to those supporters that you've got out there, those fans that you've got, and those guys that I've been saying for a long time, you are such a great fighter. Any message to those guys? Yeah, I just appreciate everyone who come out. Uh, obviously, on my last fight and, and all the other fights that I've had, everyone's been buying tickets. I've had a good following, good support. Um, without them, uh, with, with them being there, helps me perform better. Uh, I've got a lot of sponsors. Obviously, a shout out to. Um, Fulton's Logistics, Barneswell, South East Tankers. I've got the, uh, the Body Kitchen, which has uh, been helping my food plans to make the weight. Uh, obviously, Body Shots, where I train out of. My trainers, Richard, and my manager's MTK. Also, Frank Warren, who put me on the shows, um, giving me the opportunity to be able to perform. Uh, yeah, just thank, and Linda Keane as well, because I've been doing my mind coaching with her. Uh, so, yeah, the team, mate, without them, obviously things wouldn't be happening but they are so I've got a good team and I appreciate everyone's uh, everyone's help and support well said my man right listen Archie it's always a pleasure my friend you know that thank you for your time enjoy your Christmas and we'll speak again soon yeah thank you for having me on mate God bless thanks very much Okay, now it's time to conclude this week's episode of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. It's been a packed show. It really has. There's been so much to go over, so my apologies. If I rabbit it on for a little bit too long, I'm very sorry about that. I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show, the two undefeated prospects, and of course, one of them being a Olympic silver medalist, that being Shakur Stevenson, and also, of course, Archie Sharp. Please remember... Remember to send us a message on Twitter with your knockout of the year because next week we'll be doing the Christmas special show and we'll be talking about the knockouts of the year. We'll be talking about our pound for pound top 10 lists as well so you can send those in and also we're going to be discussing our fighter of the year choices. So once again, send in your opinions on that. We will read all of the tweets and Instagram posts that we get regarding these things on next week's show. That's my promise, every single one. The Prediction League currently stands at you, the listeners, on 20 points. Ayaz is on 18 and I'm on 16. Best of luck this weekend. With that, thank you for listening and we will see you next week.